Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players podcast because it's a special racing day, grade one action on a Friday. You get that only a few times a year, right? It's uh, you, the, the Breeders' Cup and Keeneland Spring and Fall and, uh, and Kentucky Oaks, and it's a really fun card. Peter Thomas Fornital coming to you live from the Griffin Gate Marriott in Lexington, I have been traveling around to different hotels, different couches also in my last 20 odd trips to Lexington. I have to say, I think I finally found my home in this place. Great location, uh, amazing views out the window here, looking over this beautiful golf course. I haven't availed myself of the spa downstairs yet, but I'm sure, I'm sure that will be coming as well. And uh, I it just really, really great accommodations. And best of all, no dodgy hotel Wi-Fi here either. So it's, it's just, we're just winning left and right. Very excited to be doing this show on a bet that I love, the all-turf pick three, and bringing in the man who covers this bet for us on the regular over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, one of my favorite young horse players to speak with, Michael Domable. Michael, what's going on, my man? Yeah, a little jealous of you being in, in Lexington, especially with it being uh, the contest weekend. Um, I'll be participating from afar in that, but it would, it's always nice to see Jim Goodman and the, and the folks over there when you're, when, uh, when that contest is going on. Uh, but, uh, I hope you enjoy your trip. It's going to be great. And I like that this day has actually now become the secondary contest day, because what that also means is that many more horse players coming in early. So rolling around the green room yesterday, getting to see the likes of Dan Slattery and Paul Weiser and uh, so many of the contest players already in town and more coming in today. It makes for a great weekend. I mean, opening weekend is always amazing. You know, it's, it's hard to beat um, being here for Bluegrass Day, but especially when that falls on a weekend with Easter where you lose the racing on Sunday and, you know, hey, it's nice to be home for Easter too. Um, it's This is a, a fantastic weekend to target to come down here. I'm going to be on Sky Sports Racing Saturday, Sunday. Also really excited to be doing some stuff with the Keeneland media team. We'll miss you, but we'll be looking for you on the leaderboard. How's the meet been going so far for you? Yeah, it's been going all right. Haven't been able to notch one of the one of the turf pick threes yet. Um, but I think this sequence will be pretty, pretty interesting to tackle, um, with, you know, you've got some short price favorites that you could, you could lean on and a couple that you, you might want to oppose. So maybe, maybe it'll turn around on, on that bets front, uh, this afternoon. I have deliberately not looked at your analysis, which is up there on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. I thought that might make for more interesting conversation. I didn't want to be, you know, influenced as I was looking at this uh, this morning over the first cup of coffee. I thought it was interesting. And I think, you know, traditional pick three, I think this would be a hard sequence. With the higher minimum, I think there's a chance maybe to construct some smart tickets and come and try to knock this thing out of the park. Let's see uh, where our opinions are aligned and where we might be able to fight a little bit. We kick things off with race number five, 308. So there'll be, you know, there'll be a decent amount of lead time on the show. We start 308, cool race, three-year-old fillies in the allowance ranks and going a mile and an eighth on the turf. We talk very often in American racing how sometimes that extra 16th between a mile and a 16th and a mile and an eighth can play like more than a mere 16th of a mile. That could be a fun angle in. Very curious to know what numbers will be on your tickets, Michael, to start this all-turf pick three on this Friday card. Well, I think it's worth noting that uh, since we're recording before scratches, that um, if any of the also eligibles draw in, um, they're going to be pretty interesting here. 
And I don't okay. just say that because of the the checkered past that this network has with also eligibles drawing <laughs> in and, and winning big races. Uh, I do think that... Which strike? <coughs> I think a half-hour podcast without mentioning his name has got to be one of the sore, uh, sore points from last year for... I did have one line about him. I did. I did manage one line about him on one of the shows where I said, "If this thing somehow wins, it'll be the biggest upset in Kentucky Derby history." I did. I did say that on the airwaves. Yeah, and uh, I was uh, uh, Eric DeCoster sent out uh, an example of the uh, the Derby profiles that he did last year, and he did he he wrote up Rich Strike, which he actually had a lot of nice things to say about him ahead of the ahead of the race as well. But he's uh, a sharp guy, and for people on Plus looking for the 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 Daily Journal has been excellent. I mean, you and Eric Solomon have been doing great work, but Eric DeCoster on the plus side with that Keeneland journal in particular has been doing well. Another, you know, you ridiculously sharp young people make me, make me think, you know, I've, I've got to get, I've got to get going to do some, some catching up to you guys sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know, or just, or just have us on your side all the time. That's another way to handle it. (laughs) That's a great point about the AEs in here though. I mean, this is, these are some super live runners and I don't know, maybe on Twitter, Michael, we can get a little conversation going about how scratches will affect or not affect what's going on. But I think for the purposes of this show, maybe we just assume that it's just going to be the body of the field that goes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, And so for, you know, looking at the one through 12, I think the main opinion I have is that I want absolutely no part of the number 10 Mally Moo. Um, Nick Tamaro pegged her as the morning line favorite. Um, I don't know if she'll, she'll go off the favorite. It's one of those type of races where you could probably make a case that three or four of them could be, could be the post-time favorite. But um, I just don't think that this is necessarily as big of a drop in class as it might look to some people on paper dropping out of the grade threes at, at Gulfstream. Uh, I know she was behind a slow pace last time, but she really didn't do much running in the lane to make up any ground on the leaders. Um, daylight was between her and the, and the top three. Um, and, then the, and then the biggest thing for me again, to be against her is that uh, Jack Sisterson is over 31 in the last five years on the Keeneland turf. And those last two races really came at a time when his barn was hitting on all cylinders at Gulfstream. So um, I kind of think this is uh, going to be a little bit tougher for her and anything close to three to one I would want to toss. Um, I think the one in the two, the number one, Mrs. Astor, and the number two, Mademoiselle, Mademoiselle Jackie, are both interesting. Uh, and they, they drew well. And they're, they, they're horses that could be um, likely, likely winners. But I do see a few holes to poke in each of them. I don't think the field that the number one Mrs. Astor faced last time was that, was that tough. Uh, she won with, with the utmost confident, the confident ride. But um, I think this is actually a step up in class um, significantly. And then for the two, Mademoiselle Jackie, I think she got a pretty soft trip last time out on the lead. And this uh, time form us has this race coded red. Um, so I think that'll be a little bit more difficult for her to try to wire this field. Um, I actually think the horse to beat is the number eight, knock your socks off. Um, the form's a little dirtied up with those, with those Oaks preps in there. So maybe that can help the price a little bit. Um, and ran a really good race in the Jessamine last year behind a, behind a wire to wire winner in delight, um, after b- blowing the break and making up a ton of ground, uh, on the passing pretty much the rest of the field in that race. Um, and then the, the kind of the wild card is the number six, wonderful lady. Um, I couldn't find much in her overseas form to, to, to latch on with. But Brennan Walsh does a really great job with his with his foreign shippers, so she's dangerous, and I'd want to use hers as well. But uh, all that to say, there's little bits and pieces that I can poke holes in, and all those horses. So I actually landed on on a top pick, and I hope 
I hope Nick Tamaro is right about the morning line on Safine because the number three is where I landed in this spot, and I'll have a lot of my play, my pick three play going through her. Um, one of the things I like about her the most is that she took money in all three of her starts last year, in, in, in not an insignificant amount in each of those races. Um, she beat a pretty weak field at Laurel, um, and she didn't do like a, a like she didn't have like a bad trip or anything that caused her to lose the allowance at at Churchill, but I think her figures, she doesn't have much to find on figures versus the rest of this field and can take that natural step forward from two to three. You know, you don't love seeing the the rider from the last jump somewhere else, but I don't think I could pick a more suitable replacement than, than William Buick to get on her back. So a 15 to one morning line, I'll try to run a lot of my play through her. Terrific analysis. And I don't just say that because we agree so much. <laughs> I, I, I love the way you I have notes in front of me and you basically said all my notes better than I have them written here. But I did. I had it. Uh, the order was a little different, but the three most interesting horses were the same. Knock your socks off. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping Nick's morning line is is low on this one, but it's a tough race to know how they're going to bet what I like. Yeah. Getting back to the right surface. Understandable that they would try those dirt. Uh, ideas. I thought that Jessamine was way better than it looked. Breaking slow, running against the flow versus a loose leader. Just makes a lot of sense and feels like one, especially if one of those AEs draws in, maybe we can get a little bit of a bump north of six to one. We'll see. And then wonderful lady with the grade three or group three, I should say French form, like the fact that she's run well left-handed and on firm ground, have to respect the red hot connections. And maybe this is a data point to Safine not being 15s, but I also thought was very, very interesting. Should definitely be able to run faster figs than the paper after being off for 145 days. And Buick getting the call here, it's one of the things like I always look where the, where the rider jumped off and looking where, looking where Saez ends up and the expected pace here. Just not that worried about that one. I do think, um, I think it's going to be a hard race to wire. I think where Safine's going to sit is going to be more where you want to be. And if this was a prep, why do you reach out to Buick? You know, it doesn't make sense. Unless the only thought thought I had was, oh, does Buick want to ride the course before the big one or something? And there's a favor going in the opposite direction. But that's getting into tinfoil hat stuff. I just think it's that you you put you give a call to a rider like that. You're not wasting the call. The horse is going to be ready. And uh, and also, as you pointed out, you can just see from how she's been bet and her work on the track that, uh, that she's got talent. And I think she'd get a perfect trip. I was just going to try to use those three, and I was going to probably Dutch according to how the odds shook out in here. What were you thinking from a betting strategy point of view? And were you going to try to get – do you have an, enough going on that you think you can try to eke the one and the two onto tickets? I agree. They're not not contenders, but I was just thinking with how potentially chalky this is the rest of the way that I had to take a stand and was just going to try to do it with those three. Yeah, for me, I I tried to uh, I tried to separate the three as an A, the six and eight as Bs, and then the the one and two will be on very distant backups for me. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you know, try to try to get a little bit alive. I'm curious to see what you think about uh, this seventh race that we'll talk about next. I mean, so much of how you construct a bet like this is going to depend on you know, what you've got, what you've got later on. If it's all, if it's all long shots the rest of the way, why not find a way to use five somewhat significantly? And unfortunately for me, not really the way that I came up with it. I, I, uh, well, let's talk about this seventh race, the FanDuel limestone stakes for these three-year-old fillies going five and a half on the, on the turf. And I sort of pulled out the old uh, JK 
turf sprint handicapping methodology for this one, looking for the horse I thought could be the speed of the speed and looking for the overall best horse. And I thought that the overall best horse was the three love reigns. Just makes too much sense. Has that huge figure from the summer to run back to. And I love the fact that she's not just one-way speed. She stalked and pounced in her big race. Last race was a toss, tough spot, terrible trip. And we all know this is Ward's game. Layoffs, first-time starters at Keeneland. I mean, um, I, I hope and, and I think we, it's possible this horse could be you know, with, with the, the rest of this field that's assembled, something on the order of five to two, three to one. I don't think we're looking at a prohibitive favorite in this spot. The other one I wanted to use was number four, Accomplished Girl. Now, I get it. Safi Joseph just won for 17 on the Keeneland turf. Not exactly his game, but it just looked to me that that last race had a chance to be even faster than the fast figure came back. The form's working out, and I was just thinking this is the one that has that speed of the speed potential there on the front end. So I was just going to try to get out three, four again, probably trying to use Dutch principles. Um, but though I won't have a real pool, it'll, this will be blind. It's not like we'll be able to see the betting, but I'm going to assume love reigns, you know, three X of what I use for accomplished girls, something along those lines, but very curious to get your take on race number seven. See if you have any, uh, any, uh, interesting long shots to mix in here or if I'm on the wrong favorite or what? Yeah, for me, um, I think this is probably the most difficult, difficult race of the three in the sequence. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to need five on the a line. Um, but the way I'm going to structure it is I'm going to be against a few of the shorter prices on the morning line. Um, and, and of those, the two of them, um, are the ones that are coming out of, of wire to wire jobs at Gulfstream Park, both the number one sassy nature and the number four accomplished girl. I just don't think that one of them is going to let the other get away. Um, and I think of both of these as kind of a negative circuit switch. So, you know, I think you mentioned Safi's Safi's stats at, uh, at Gulfstream or at, at, um, at Keeneland. They're not good. Yeah. And Gulfstream is like his, you know, his own personal playground. So I, I, you know, you have negative, Jockey switches, you have negative trainer switches. I think this is a negative circuit switch for both of for both of those two runners. Um, plus, you have to add the extra half half furlong on. Um, so I do think this pace could heat up. And and you know, one horse that I think is a is a positive circuit switch is the number six, just a care. Um, you get Rusty Arnold going from Gulfstream to where he's more more locally based out of in in, in Keeneland. Um, and she didn't even run that poorly in either of her two um, her two Gulfstream sprint sprint starts. The last one. She had a terrible break and got pinched and put put behind the eight ball in a race that Sassy Nature wired. So I don't see why if this pace heats up, she can't be be around coming at the finish. Uh, the number seven, Alluring Angel, is a similar case. She actually is the one that owns the best late t- late pace rating on Timeform US in a race that's projected to to have a hot pace. Um, and her debut at Saratoga, that was the last time she ran at five and a half, and she mowed them all down in the lane with a pretty 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 solid speed figure. So those two I want on side. Um, you know, I think the Ward duo, um, is, they're both dangerous. This is Wesley's game. Um, Love Reigns is probably, um, ready to go for this one. He's got excellent stats off the layoffs and turf sprints at Keeneland, hitting at over 30% with a positive ROI, which positive ROIs are, are tough to come by for, for how well, for how much money Ward takes at, at mm-hmm. Keeneland. Um, but I, I mean, I want, I want that stat also applies to Lady Hollywood and, you know, first time in Ward's barn. Gets gets on gets in his program. 
she actually ran pretty well in the context of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint last year, being close to that pace that absolutely incinerated. Um, and so she could definitely get lost in the wagering with all the focus being being on love range. So I want both the ward pair and then my, my, my tentative top pick. I'm using all five of these in equal strength because I kind of like the the, the longer price ones more than I like the shorter price ones. But my, my top pick is, is going to be number two, My Sweet Affair. Uh, took so much money in the debut to be nine to five from the from the the outside post in a in a turf sprint at uh, at Gulfstream and kind of won with the the utmost utmost confidence just sitting parked three wide um, getting an, uh, a nice uh, turn of foot in the stretch and was was really uh, you know eased up late and it's interesting to me that Irad Irad ends up here over over Love Reigns who he's run who he's ridden in all four of her of her lifetime start. So for me, it's going to be two, three, six, seven, eleven 11 on the a line and, and try to really run a lot of that play through, through the three in the first race in those five. Yeah, that's very interesting. Are you worried at all playing them equally about love reigns winning? I mean, I feel like you'll be vulnerable to just breaking even here. I mean, depending on assuming you like the big horse in the next, and we'll get to that. No need to preview those comments here, but that's the only thing that struck me as you were talking that I said, hmm, I, I might offer a caveat about that. Yeah. Well, what I'll say about that is that, you know, the first, the, the, my loan a in the first race is, is uh 15 to one on the morning line. So right. if, if she, you know, holds up on that price, then I feel like even if love reigns wins, um, it'll be, you know, it'll be positive. Love reigns is, is my fifth pick. So, I mean, if that's, if she wins, then I don't really deserve to win, too much money on, yeah. on this race. Um, so I, she's kind of used as kind of like a bankroll pr- preserver, in, gotcha. uh, you know, in the long run. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a, a terrific, a terrific answer. And uh, we'll see. I just, uh, the more I run this race in my head, I do, I worry about, I worry about the closers. I mean, I, you made some very good points about the horse cutting back from the mile. I just worry about being so far back for a runner, for a runner like Alluring Angel. But hey, at 20 to one, you don't, you know, maybe that's the time to take that chance. Yeah. And I mean, maybe the number five is another thorn in the side of, of the one in the four um, switching to turf uh, it showed a lot of speed yep. at Oakland. So, I mean, if, if you have three or four of them heating up, it can come, it can, those, these turf sprints can come apart. I mean, the, the British Cup juvenile turf sprint last year was won by uh, mischief magic who came from last. So it's, it's not completely unheard of for, for closers to win these races. No, it's true. All right, that's exciting. We're, we're a little, little bit oppo there, to say the least, in race seven. I am just going to take a wild guess that we might be back on the same page when it comes to the grade one Maker's Mark mile that goes as the featured race here at 516. Can you see anything beating modern games? I'll just ask it as simple as that. I do have one small scenario, uh, one ticket that has a scenario that where he gets beaten, but... Um, you really don't need me to extol the virtues of modern <laughs> games. Um, I mean, a two-time Breeders' Cup winner. Um, he's, he's hard in form internationally, running against the best that they have to offer. Um, you know, he beat all the best milers in the U.S. that we had we had at the time last year, and some some pretty solid international runners. Even didn't even have the best trip in the race, and he's really kind of the the equine representation of the tour de force that Charlie Appleby has been on these last two years. I, I pulled one stat that's just like absolutely absurd to me on um, Appleby Barney. Everyone knows that these stats are crazy, but when you actually look at them on paper, it's even wilder. 17 of 35 on this continent in the last two years, 49%, 359 ROI, 
with 14 grade one wins. Oh my and, goodness. And four of those losses were against his own stablemates. So horse. like, it's just, it's just an absolute like tour de force is, is the only way I can put it. I'm told um, that's good. I'm told that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unreal. Um, the one, so, I mean, some people, you know, may try to make fringe cases for up to the mark, Emmanuel, Dr. Zenther. They're nice horses, but the problem is, is they play the same game that modern games does, which is, you know, sit for a little bit and then try to run them down the lane. If modern games does get beat, the only way I can see it is if it's a wire job. And the only horse that I can see that could get that kind of aggressive ride is the number three, Chez Pierre. Um, if you look, watch his ride last time at Tampa, it was extremely passive. He ended up being parked three wide around like a turn and a half because it's that weird configuration at Tampa where they come out the, out the shoot from the infield. Yep. Um, and, you know, jockey change to Flavian Pratt. He might be just on a dead send, gets the lead. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, lull him to sleep a little bit. Um, so I have one backup line through Chez Pierre, but most of the I have 80 percent of my money is going through modern. Should I characterize it sort of as the shape here as a, as a C or would you say as a B? I would say as a B because I don't have many Bs before this race. No, I like it. I like the way you're playing that. You're, you're setting yourself up with a lot of ways to win. I'm going for a little more of a blunt instrument approach. My sort of reverse pyramid, three down to two, down to one. Uh, I feel like a, I feel like a comparative caveman, but I feel like you can get – it won't be caveman in that I will vary the amounts of the tickets – and I feel like uh, the way I see it, 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 it might be it might be able to yield some fruit. But I don't know. I'm I'm going to take a look and see if I can steal a page from your book and and have uh, try to find a way to get some of some of those uh, some of those interesting long shots on there as well, and and at least uh, be able to make something back if my if my blunt instrument uh, fails in this case. Well, that was super fun chatting with you about the races. Have you had a chance to look at Saturday yet, or have you been totally focused on this Friday card? I've looked a little bit at Saturday. Um, I think you know the late the late pick five is is pretty interesting. Um, you get a lot of stakes races, especially for a weekend without a major Derby prep. Um, I mean, the Lexington you can maybe have a, a starter or two come out of that, um, but you know it's the Jenny Wiley is a is a really a really awesome race. You kind of have a meeting of all of the best female turf horses, especially on the on the East Coast, and even even Queen Goddess uh, for Michael McCarthy. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's going to be a really, really fantastic race. It, I mean, you could even argue it might be the race of the year so far. I mean, if just in terms of the, the, the quality, the percentage of the top players in a division coming together. Yeah, yeah. It's Breeders' Cup-esque. Do you have an early lean in there or are you not that far along yet? Uh, I, I like White Frost a little bit. Um, I think, you know, this is the time to take her on the come. I think, um, you know, it, that by the end of the year she could be – one of the top uh, Philly and Mare turf horses in the, in, in the country. And, and this is the, probably the only time you're going to get her uh, north of, north of six to one. Um, in Italian is going to be tough, especially on the front end. Um, there's not much other speed signed on, but if, if maybe, maybe with the moonlight, it's a little bit more of an aggressive ride uh, knowing, knowing that in Italian has that advantage and, and can set it up for white frost. There you have it. Some early looks at Saturday, Nick and I'll be back with that whole pick five, that'll be dropping not too far from now, actually. This will be up in the feed first, but uh, we're talking in, in just a couple of hours, and I'll pop that show up right away. Michael, we'll continue to read your work over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You're going to be able to be part of our Derby coverage on Plus this year as well? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll maybe I'll cherry pick a couple of horses that I'm, uh, 
I'm, I'm interested in for the Derby already to write about for you. I love it. Get, 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 it's all for, I think Eric does it first come, first serve. So let him know and get your horses reserved. Just a reminder to folks, you can get all of our additional Keeneland coverage plus our entire Derby package for just one month of plus. I mean, you know, I'm tooting my own horn here, tooting the team's horn, really. But it's, I think it's one of the great values in this, in this type of stuff. And there's loads of stuff free as well. You're going to get tons of stuff just over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com and over on our YouTube channel. But the, that extra stuff and the grid picks that you get for that, um, these extra derby write-ups, they're, they're invaluable. And uh, they're also a great way to support the work we do here and enable us to keep bringing you content like this. I use all the plus money to, you know, throw around to contributors when I can. And, and anyway, we hope you'll check that out in the moneypodcast.com slash plus. Michael, we'll thank you one more time. We'll thank all the listeners out there. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital, live from the Griffin Gate Marriott in Lexington, Kentucky. May you win all your photos. <laughs>